just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries and potentially disastrous diagnoses. Today I am chatting to Nick Allen, who is living with a diagnosis of Functional Neurological Disorder, or FND, and Fibromyalgia. However, this was not always the case. In this episode, Nick talks us through the long process of initially being diagnosed with primary progressive multiple sclerosis, and the lifestyle changes that he implemented to manage his condition. One of these being the overcoming MS lifestyle, which we chat a bit about in the episode, but we don't really explain. Essentially, it's an evidence-based lifestyle program where factors such as diet, exercise, and meditation work alongside medications to allow people living with MS to live well. So with that being said, Nick explains how he adopts this lifestyle and eventually embarks on an adventure in the Himalayas, which inspires the creation of Mastering Mountain a charitable trust helping others achieve their adventure dreams and connect with community. But of course, as you have probably realized based on the title of this episode, his story doesn't end there. Several years later, Nick realizes that he has been misdiagnosed and suddenly finds himself navigating the world of living with FND. I've been really excited to chat to Nick for a long time now, so I really hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it. Welcome to That's So Chronic. I am very excited to chat to you. I think I mentioned in an email exchange that we had that you've been on my goal list to interview for the show. So I feel very excited that we can make this happen today. Oh, me too. Now, you are living with a diagnosis of functional neurological disorder or FND as well as fibromyalgia, which I'm sure we're going to chat all about your story today. But you are also the founder of the charitable trust Mastering Mountains. Yes. Which on a personal level, I remember finding out about Mastering Mountains, probably through like the Auckland MS Society or something. And I remember in my MS diagnosis journey, finding the website and just reading some of the stories of people that have done the most epic adventures. And I just got so much comfort from that. Oh, that's awesome. So on a personal level, I'm really excited to chat. Ah. Amazing. So I was thinking to start, should we go all the way back to childhood, I suppose? Were you always interested in getting outdoors and getting into nature and being active? Absolutely. I think some of my earliest memories actually are of wanting to, to climb. And in, in fact, there's this, um, this I, I remember, so I was still in a booster seat. So I must have wow. been like five or six <laughs> or something. And I grew up in uh, South Auckland in the Bombay Hills. And I remember we were driving into town and we were sort of just cresting the top of the hill. And I uh, looked across Uh, north across the city and there was this huge bank of white peaks on the horizon and I was just like filled with this sense of awe this intense desire to go and 
be amongst it. Wow. And I said to mum, mum, one day I'm going to climb those mountains. <laughs> and mum was like, they're not mountains, they're clouds. And <laughs> I felt devastated. I was like, ah, oh. but, but I, I, I remember I remember that moment quite well because of the the crushing feeling yeah. of realizing it wasn't <laughs> mountains, but but um, just that intense sort of desire to be uh, up amongst yeah. the peaks. Yeah. Um, and then, unfortunately, for my grandmother, uh, who was very risk averse, for some reason she fed me these stories and books about mountaineers and climbers as a, a young child. Okay. And that kind of just sparked my interest and in, and. So I started pursuing climbing much to her sort of like fear for yeah. my safety. But yes. Yeah. Um, mm. But of course, it's when you are around the age of 21. Yes. When some symptoms enter your life. Yeah. Take us back to that time. Yeah. So I was uh, actually, so symptoms started when I was about um, 18 or 19. Okay. And I started losing uh, bladder control. So mm-hmm. slightly incontinent. And I didn't tell anybody about that and because I thought, oh, maybe it's just what happens as you yeah. mature or whatever. And, and like, you know, as an 18 or 19-year-old. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. But then, and then when I was about 20, I started experiencing uh, some weakness in my legs. Okay. And I thought that I, I wasn't training hard enough. I was doing a lot of cycling at that point. Uh, I was cycling about four or 500 kilometers a week mm-hmm. and, and doing a bit of tramping and climbing as well. So I just push and push and push, but it just wouldn't resolve. And yeah. again, I kind of didn't really understand what was going on. But then when I was 21, things totally hit the okay. fan. And so I uh, one day I cycled to work and I was just feeling like quite off. Mm. And then that evening was just, or that afternoon was feeling so well that um, I didn't feel like I could cycle home. Okay. So I got, uh, I was living with my parents at that time and, got uh dad to pick me up and got home went straight to bed the next day mm. um i could barely walk the flight of stairs wow in my parents house it was a two-story house and uh and so there was this just this incredible like overnight going from cycling hundreds yeah. of kilometers to barely being able to walk the stairs or shower myself like yeah that was showering myself was an accomplishment for the day you know yeah. and um yeah and, and initially we weren't sure what was going on again i thought maybe it was a virus or something yeah. and and i was told oh yep you'll be better in a few weeks and then a few weeks went by and it's like oh yep you'll be better within six months yeah oh, six months gosh. went by and and then um these increasingly sort of neurological symptoms mm. started showing like uh difficulties with visual processing and okay with sensory things and, and that kind of stuff and but yeah i was just told oh yep you know it's just Viral illness, you'll get better soon. Oh no! Mm. And so that's like six months of kind of being like, oh well, just wait and see what happens. Uh, yeah, and, and and then um about a year later, I got some really intense uh, neurological symptoms where I was struggling to walk. Okay. Um, my vision was um, quite significantly affected, mm. and this kind of thing, and and so we went to the neurologist, and there was about three years of seeing different neurologists and trying to, and they're like, oh, it's kind of like MS, but oh, it's not, not quite. And, and we're not quite sure what's going on. And, and, um, oh, wow. yeah. So it was, it felt like a very long time yeah. of no answers and you're sort of just stuck in this, this no man's land. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard. And so when you say that it's been, you know, 
potentially three years of going back and forth and not really knowing what's going on. Yeah. What does your day-to-day life look like? Like, are you able to work? Are you able to get around? Yeah, great question. Uh, so I had, so I was at university, at, uh, in university at the time when I first got sick. And okay. so I had to drop out of university. I tried to go back to university for a little bit, mm-hmm. but made it through, or barely made it through a semester and then wow. had to drop out again. yeah. So I suppose day to day, it was just, a, it was a struggle. I couldn't drive yep. um, because of my vision and um, I was struggling to read again because of, of vision and uh, fatigue was just huge. Mm-hmm. So um, I was struggling to exercise. I could do sometimes little tramps without a backpack, yep. but then the recovery time was was, was yeah. significant. And so it just felt like my world got smaller and smaller and mm-hmm. smaller and then eventually ended up having to use a mobility scooter to get okay. around because I, I couldn't walk on uneven surfaces. I had foot drops. So I was tripping quite a lot. Yeah. And wow. yeah, and, and the fatigue was just enormous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was uh, just this uh, constant pain as well, which yeah. was kind of unexplained at that point. It sounds as though like a lot of your independence was taken away. Totally. And especially if I think back to when I was 21 to 24, like being an independent person was the most important thing for me. 100%. You're so right. And, and you know, I, I was living with my parents and, and they were incredible. But, you know, just the fact of being a, a young adult, yeah. living with your parents, that kind of sucks. And, you know, I didn't have a, <laughs> yeah. I had a part-time job. But that was like difficult to hold down, and, and so I didn't really have any income. And yep. yeah, it was. You're you're so right that independence just kind of mm. evaporated. Yeah. So did they ever say this is what you have? Did they ever reach a diagnosis point? Yeah. So when I was 26, they they finally gave me the diagnosis of uh, primary progressive multiple sclerosis. Okay. So things had really deteriorated and. Uh, yeah, and, and so we had suspected it was MS for a couple of years by that point. Okay. And yeah, and then finally given that diagnosis. And, you know, it was funny because I went into that appointment really hoping that we would finally get the diagnosis yep. and we kind of suspected it would be MS. And, and so in some ways it was a relief to re- receive the diagnosis. But at the same time, I remember leaving and uh, just having this overwhelming sense of like crap you know this is now my life mm. and and this is going to be at forever you yeah because I wonder if there was a sense of well if there's no name maybe it will just all disappear or go away whereas now it's like there's a name exactly You've got this thing. exactly yeah and um and then also at that point, and, and I think it's still the case, you know, there was no pharmac treatment mm. for primary progressive MS. And mm. so I think I was also kind of hoping for like, oh, yeah, you know, you've got MS. Here's... Here's all the things. Uh, that's right. And <laughs> life is going to be back to normal yeah. and, and you'll be great. And the neurologist was, he wasn't a particularly great neurologist, mm. but he told me like, oh, yeah, you know, so you're in the mobility scooter. Um, your prognosis is that uh, probably in the next couple of years, you will be using a motorized wheelchair okay. with no ability to walk. Oh my god! And um, and you're 26. Exactly. Wow. And and so he painted this incredibly <laughs> dismal picture, and yeah. um, and I think that was that was quite horrific in itself. And uh, it just now blows my mind 
that he didn't offer any kind of like, hey, if you try and be physically active, mm. you know, there are some lifestyle modifications that you can use to to sort of uh, get a better prognosis. Yeah. But he didn't offer any of that. In fact, mm. in the years that followed, he would poo-hoo all of those things to my horror. Oh, <laughs> I know. Interesting. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so, so there was there was no hope offered. In that uh, meeting with the neurologist, um, where I got the diagnosis, and, okay, and that was just and that was devastating. Mm. I've read on the Mastering Mountains website yes. on your bio that you did find the overcoming MS lifestyle. Yes. What inspired you to actually look for something? Because I know in the moment, yeah. especially when you've got a neurologist who has all of this power and authority. Exactly. And, and it's like, well, he knows. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, he studied a long time for, to know uh, yes. all of this stuff. How did you then get the strength to look for something else that might help you? Well, that's a fantastic question because I understandably sort of went into a period of uh, denial. Yeah. <laughs> and um, But uh, my mum didn't. <laughs> and so mum got in touch with the, the MS Society. I and, love mums. Oh, mums are so good. <laughs> I know. I would not be here today like yeah. without the help of my parents and my mum. Totally. Yeah. Yes, so mum got in contact with the Emmy Society, went to a, a conference, I think it was, where George Jelinek um, oh, spoke. Oh, wow. And yeah, and so she came back and was like, right, this is what we're doing. And, and I was initially quite resistant because okay. I really liked my pies it's a lot and of my work. cake. And, <laughs> and it's a lot of work, absolutely. And so mum said, right, dad and I will do it with you. Because it also sucked when, like, at the very beginning, you know, they'd be having their steak and I'd be yeah. having their, my whatever. And, you know, or their ice cream and I'd yeah. be having nothing. Yeah. And so I found that quite difficult, obviously. Yeah. And, and so they're, they're like, okay, well, let's all do it together. And that was that was just a huge help. So okay. I, I think initially I kind of went into it a bit begrudgingly. Mm -hmm. And then after a while, I really began to see the, the benefit of it. And I spoke to, I think a real turning point actually was... So I was in Palmerston North at the time. Uh, I spoke to a lady who was a, she had a PhD in, in veterinary science. And uh, I know it's not, not human medicine, <laughs> but, but had a great understanding of, of yeah. medicine and, and that kind of thing. And, and so I, I spoke to her and um, she had been in a wheelchair, engaged in the lifestyle, uh, the overcoming MS lifestyle, and was now back riding horses, which was wow. her passion and this kind of thing. And I, I think um, sort of being able to ask all of these gnarly questions like, yeah. what's the medical proof for all of this yeah. and that kind of thing? And having good answers, that was a real turning point for me. And I was like, mm -hmm. okay, I, I think there is some validity here and it's not just all crazy stuff. And so I really began to engage with it properly. Yeah. And so I, I think, you know, it just goes to show the importance of having those people in your community yeah. to sort of to testify to the validity of yeah. this kind of thing. Yeah. I know for me personally, overcoming MS was a thing that I also subscribed to when oh, I was awesome. first diagnosed. Yeah. And for me, it was the stories of yeah. hope that I was able to read. Yes. I was wondering, was that what you also found throughout this process? Yeah, I think that I got, I got hold of the Stories of Hope book. It was like a few years later, mm -hmm. but I think 
Uh, so it's the lady who I spoke to, um, who, was, who was the vet, she, her story is in the Stories of Hope. Oh, wow. And so, I can't uh, actually remember if that's what the book is called, but I, it's something I, I'm pretty that. sure it's Stories of Hope or something similar yeah. to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think, so I got hold of that book a bit later, yeah. but, uh, but certainly I think it is it was hearing other people's yeah. story that really changed my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you adopt this lifestyle change. Yes. Do you notice any relief? Do symptoms subside a little bit throughout this process? Well, not not initially. Yeah. But what I did notice was that, so I, I suppose uh, when I first started, we did kind of um, phase some things out gradually. Yes. And rather than going cold turkey. And uh, what I did notice was as we began to phase things out, you know, I, I wasn't always a good, yeah. <laughs> uh, a good person. And so like sometimes I'd, I'd sneak my, you know, sugary yeah. chocolate bar or um, a pie or whatever, but I would really begin to feel the effects of it. Oh. So like, like sugar, I, I it would just flare everything yeah. up and, you know, and gluten would, I just feel like really lethargic mm-hmm. and, um, and same with like red meat and, and this kind of thing. And so I began to realize what excluding these, I suppose, the benefit of excluding yeah. those things from my diet. And then that really, I think, helped, uh, yeah, helped me be more diligent in trying to to be good and strict about my food. And, yeah. and then I also got a personal trainer who specialized in helping people with neurological disabilities. Okay. And doing, working with her and, and uh, sort of doing some physical rehab. I think the diet alongside that, um, that's where I really saw the, okay. the changes. Yeah. yeah. And so what do the next few years look like for you? Are you able to get back out there and yeah. do some adventures and things like that? It was incredible, actually. Um, you know, I, I remember my first first session with this trainer, Freya, and we were doing some balance exercises, and I was trying to balance on one leg. Yeah. And I don't think that I could even balance with my eyes open for, uh, I don't think I could even get 10 seconds, you mm-hmm. know. And so I, I was really weak, and my, my legs weren't working properly, and uh, my balance was terrible, and... Uh, so, so we begin these exercises and gradually, you know, I'm able to do short walks and wow. and then slightly longer walks. And, and Amazing. Then I, yeah, it was incredible. And then um, and then I started, I remember this, this first tramp that I did and I, I knew I could walk. I got to the point where I could walk for about 20 minutes at a time, okay. and uh, which was an, a huge improvement from walking just a couple of minutes at a yeah. time kind of thing. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to try going on this tramp. So I I would uh, walk for 20 minutes and then I would sit and rest. I would often have a sleep okay. just on the side of the track. Yeah. And then I'd walk for another 20 minutes. Wow. And so it took me like all day to cover yeah. like a couple of hours of, yeah. of track. But but I, I got got there yeah. and I camped out for a couple of days and came back. And, cool. And it was just, uh, it was an incredible moment because, you know, as I've been doing the exercises, I, I didn't really have any hope for being able to get back into the mountains. I yeah. was just kind of like trying to make life a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But then when I went on that tramp, I was like, oh, actually, like yeah. if I, I'm able to do more than I, I think and I'm able to do way more than my neurologist yeah. thinks. <laughs> and so like this is a completely worthwhile process to pursue. And mm-hmm. so so over the next couple of years, I, I really, really um, built my life, I think, around diet, sleep and exercise. Okay. Mm. And did you feel like yourself again, being able to get back out there? 
Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think for me, getting outdoors is, is quite a spiritual thing as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it really sort of feeds and nourishes me. And so to get outside, yeah, I, I felt like my, myself, but also more fully uh, yeah, more fully myself, more fully nourished. Mm-hmm. It just is, yeah, it, it just is an amazing thing. Yeah. yeah. So I'm wondering what happens next because a lot of people that might have clicked into this episode are like, hang on a second. Yeah. It's Nick Allen and FND, not uh, yes. Primary Progressive MS. So where does the story take us next? And this is kind of going to be a long answer, but so I was working at the gym and everything, uh, making progress, and then decided decided to take a break from my study. And uh, I was doing some post grad, and I, I kind of wasn't loving it. And mm-hmm. so, so I thought I'll take some time off. And I I, I had my thirtieth birthday. Yeah. And so I was still at home with mum and dad, and I was a post grad student. Didn't have a girlfriend owned a car and some climbing gear and that was it yeah and and i was like what the heck am i doing with my life like i suck and so i i thought um so i kind of had this like third of the way through life crisis and and um i was like right i I need to do something okay and so i decided to aim for a peak in the himalayas (gasps) so six thousand meter peak and, this um, is so exciting. Yeah, and and I thought, well, you know, just because I'd been slowly building up over the previous yeah, like four years, mm. making all of this progress, I thought, well, why not give it a try? Yeah. So I uh, yeah went over to the Himalayas, tried to climb two peaks. The first one uh, didn't quite make it um, for a variety of reasons. One of being which that I, I had to rescue my guide from a glacier, and I was like, oh no, yeah, it was a bit of a disaster, but. Uh, but then the second peak, which was right next to Mount Everest, I got to the top, and that was just that was just like a, a completely mind blowing process yeah. uh, moment. And I just remember this this overwhelming sense of like of the journey, and and mm-hmm. like having been in the mobility scooter, thinking like I'm yeah. never going to walk again, and here I am, you know. In the Himalayas, watching the sunrise, yeah, it was just phenomenal, and, and also uh, being told that you're never going to walk again. Uh, exactly, yeah, exactly, and and I think, and you know, I mentioned this because I think it becomes significant later, but um, that was a real, a really big moment in terms of my thought process for mastering mountains. Yes, and but yeah, so I, I came back to New Zealand, and I so I'd been at altitude for two months, okay, and being at altitude is quite taxing on the body. Mm-hmm. And I, I came back and um, I got offered a, a book deal and I was like, yep, sure. Yeah. And it was a super tight deadline. Okay. And so I, I had, I had like, I think about, uh, about six weeks or two months between when I got back to when I started writing the book. And then I, I wrote the whole book in three months, Wow. which was uh, writing 2000 words a day, six and a half days a week. Yeah. And it just it destroyed me. Well, physically, like sitting at your desk for that yeah. amount of time is just really rough. But but also, I think what was really surprising to me and what I didn't anticipate was how is that is the connection between um, sort of your emotions and and your physical body, mm-hmm. and that's something that I had kind of not really appreciated at all up to yeah. that point. 
And I hadn't even really, I think, properly processed what it meant to be diagnosed. Mm. So it was this huge emotional journey, which was really difficult and taxing. And I came out of that book writing experience and I was just like physically and emotionally destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> but but what um, I think the problem was that, or the problem then became that, you know, so I'd, I'd just come out of this intense experience in Himalayas, got into this in, pretty much straight away into this intense experience of writing the book and then all of the publicity stuff mm-hmm. afterwards and this kind of thing. And uh, it, it just, it ruined my body. Like I was just, yeah. um, it, it really put me back. Mm. And because uh, I hadn't allowed enough time to, to recover from the Himalayas yeah. and, and then, yeah, and this was just like a super intense experience. And so mm. I ended up going backwards and then there were these new symptoms that started. Ah. Oh showing all of the sudden and they were kind of they're kind of strange and a little bit atypical for MS and neurologist kind of scratched his head mm. and was like well that's just weird didn't really offer any explanation yeah and, and then they kind of slowly got worse I moved to Christchurch yeah, about 18 months later or something and then in 2019 I went out for a run one morning and mm-hmm. I I kind of went out and I was feeling a little bit off and I'd, I'd been having a lot of troubles with my legs and sort of spasticity and I had started a new drug, Baclofen. And, hmm, that's um, what I'm on at the moment. Oh, true, yes. <laughs> yeah. And um, and uh, so I, I, I went out and again, a bit like when I was 21, uh, I was just kind of feeling a bit off and mm. I got home and I was my, my balance was kind of a bit strange and got home and said good morning to, to my wife Bex and and I was having st- trouble with my speech, okay. and and then in the space of about two hours, got to the point where I could not really converse at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't understand what she was saying. I was like super disorientated. I couldn't dress myself. Mm. Uh, my legs were just not working properly, and yeah. and as it, and and so it just felt like everything completely broke, you know. Yes. And as it turns out, I think baclofen is is not my friend. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to stop taking baclofen. So I, I reacted quite strongly to yeah. it. But this just kind of, I suppose, my the the constellation of neurological symptoms um, at that moment shifted quite a bit yeah. and sort of went from being more or less MS to mm. kind of not MS. Yeah. And so out of that, uh, sort of had to, had to go to hospital and, and then and then got in to see a neurologist, Debbie Mason. And so I went into the appointment and she, uh, you know, examined me and stuff. And then she, we actually went back for a second appointment and she said, look, you know, Debbie Mason is a, a specialist in MS in New Zealand. And she said, look, you know, I see MS patients all the time. Yeah. And she said, you know, FN uh, says this disease called FND, which was completely news to me. Yeah. I'd never heard of it before. And and she's like, it looks, it can look exactly like MS. And she said that uh, it's uh, quite common for it to be misdiagnosed as MS. Yeah. Um, or epilepsy or Parkinson's. Okay. Uh, it can also sort of masquerade as. Mm. And um, she said, uh, like, it's only the subtle details in your uh, in the way that your body is that I'm able to pick up because yeah you know because she sees so many patients so, so many yeah. patients and she said you know it's really easy to miss and 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 this is what I think it is and I kind of um 
So the diagnosis of uh, FND, on the one hand, made sense. Like mm -hmm. when she explained it, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Because oh, one of the key things was that my symptoms had got all of a sudden heaps worse, but there was no change in my lesion load. Yeah. And so, so this was kind of like, well, what the heck is going on? So FND made sense on the one hand, but it was a complete bombshell because you know my whole life had yeah. been built around the management of MS yeah and then all of a sudden to find out that it wasn't MS I was like um, you know what have I been doing with yeah. my life like what does this mean and yeah. um, you know it even struck right to the core of my identity mm. like it was it was actually really difficult to process and, and I after a few weeks I think I told my parents but it was almost a year before I felt like I could even tell the rest of my family. Yeah. Not because I thought that they would judge or anything like that, mm. but I just couldn't even get my head around it yeah. enough to sort of explain this change of diagnosis. And so it was like, yeah, it was, it was huge. Yeah, mm. it really is. And I can empathize when you say like, it's your identity, especially yeah. with Mastering Mountains or yeah. sort of the book and all of the things. It's kind of like, MS has been the the umbrella thing of, exactly. of what you've been able to describe to people. And yeah. suddenly to backtrack on that, I'm sure it's, you know, stressful and impacts you, but also kind of like what are people going to think about the professionals that misdiagnose it? And it's this whole big thing. It is a very big thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and difficult too, I think, uh, going from, from a disease that is reasonably well understood mm, and researched, yeah. like... You know, I remember um, after after my diagnosis, after that appointment with Debbie Mason, I came home and I jumped on Amazon and searched for your books yeah. on FND. And there were a couple of academic texts mm. and that was it. Yeah. And then, you know, by comparison, you search for multiple sclerosis. Yeah, and, and there's it's like so thousands. Much. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, so, you know, I was going from this comparatively well-understood disease to something which was really not very yeah. well understood and from something which is uh recognizable by most people like most people have heard of ms even if they don't understand what it is yeah. like i went to my gp after that appointment i was like i've been diagnosed with fnd and she's like fn what yeah you know and yeah. like not even my gp knew about yeah. it and she's a great gp you know and so and, and then also with ms you know um there's all of this research around mm you know, these lifestyle factors and how they will improve your prognosis. And then with FND, you know, I asked Debbie Mason, well, what's my prognosis? She's like, no idea. Oh, wow. And so like the uncertainty of that was really difficult. And so, yeah, on, on a whole bunch of levels, it was a really difficult transition. Mm. Yeah. Before we carry on with the interview, I wanted to quickly jump in and say thanks for listening to this episode of That's So Chronic. Just a reminder that if you haven't already, giving That's So Chronic a rating or a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts really helps the podcast grow and hopefully reach more people around the world. It's super quick, you could even do it right now, and helps more than you probably know. All right, back to the interview. If someone's listening and they like you, had never heard of FND. Yes. How would you describe what it is to them? Yeah, uh, so FND is basically a breakdown in communication between the the central nervous system or the brain and the rest of the body. And yeah. so it's similar to MS in that regard, but 
with MS, you know, that breakdown in communication happens because of like uh, damage to the, the nerves and stuff. But with FND, there's no sort of structural or physical changes um, that cause that breakdown. And that breakdown in communication happens for mm. reasons that are not yet understood. Yeah. So, yeah, so signals just get distorted between yeah. the brain and the body for, for some unknown reason. Mm-hmm. And the fibromyalgia diagnosis, yes. did that come at a similar time to explain the pain? or Yeah, yeah so the, the fibromyalgia diagnosis actually came just three years ago. So okay. so pain has been like a, a constant thing for you know, since I was 21. Mm. And then the I suppose after that, that big um, meltdown in uh, 2019, the pain just was, I couldn't work, yep. so I had to resign from my job, and mm-hmm. um, uh, so it was deeply affecting me, and so I got referred to the, the Burwood Pain Clinic here in Christchurch, mm-hmm. and they diagnosed me there, so that, oh, was, okay. that was three years ago, but interestingly, it is thought that, well, FND and fibromyalgia probably exist for the same reasons. Yes, yeah. yeah. How are you feeling now, going back to that time and explaining all of that to me? The misdiagnosis felt like it had a really huge impact yes. on you. How do you feel now with a little bit more space looking back, I suppose? Yeah, um, another great question. I, I think, you know, one of the things which I dreaded about the, uh, with, the mis, with the misdiagnosis was uh, coming out on social media and being like, mm. hey guys, I actually don't yeah. have MS. <laughs> and, um, and so I remember writing a post and posting about the change of diagnosis and what I had anticipated that there would be people who are like, you know, yeah. you've, you've misled us all this time yeah. or, or whatever. And But there was actually this incredible response of support and people being like, wow, that's big. Yeah. Uh, you know, go you. And, and, um, and so I think looking back now, I, uh, I'm really grateful, obviously, for the change of diagnosis because it has enabled me to make forward progress again and... But um, I think it's also enabled me to, yeah, just just connect better with people. And yeah, mm. what would your symptoms be like now in twenty twenty three? Yes, on a day to day basis, I suppose. If we're looking back to twenty nineteen when things really were not good, yeah. Over the last few years, yes. what would your symptoms be like? Yeah, so I think so. Some symptoms we've really been able to to manage through lots of rehab. So, like my my balance, for example, is is a lot better now and, mm-hmm. and stuff. But I think uh, there are probably two main symptoms that that or maybe three main symptoms that impact me the most. So, okay. so one would be just the the chronic pain. Yeah, and so that comes in a couple of different forms. But I'm um, managing that through some medications and then through. Uh, mindfulness and um, breathing exercises and actually getting out getting outdoors for me is yeah. actually one of the key ways of yeah. managing uh, pain uh, and getting outdoors in a way that is very grounding yeah. and um, and mindful and so uh, yeah and then uh, I suppose the other big thing for me is still uh, some visual challenges so mm-hmm. my my brain still freaks out with processing visual information okay and so that has meant that I haven't been able to drive a car for, or I was actually able to do a little bit of driving over summer, just gone, but mm. I haven't been able to drive a car consistently for 
Okay. Yeah, since 2019. Yeah. Uh, but we've been working on that, and, and I've got a, a little electric scooter, which Amazing. I... Amazing. Um, a moped uh, scooter, yeah. which I sort of take around the city and, you know, have been able to get back into being on the road and in the traffic yeah. and traveling at 50 kilometers per hour. So so that's been really good, but, but still struggle to um, read, still really struggle with uh, screen time. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, that has been, I, I, I suppose, with a with a background in writing. Yeah, that's been a, a really difficult thing because yeah, writing is all on mm. the computer, obviously, and, and yeah. it's, it's very hard to do. But and then, I suppose the 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 third main symptom day to day is just sort of um, difficulty with bladder control and that kind of yeah. thing. And, and so um, that kind of needs constant management, which is yeah, a bit annoying. But yeah, not the most fun, not yeah. the most glamorous <laughs> no, of symptoms. No, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. So where does Mastering Mountains fit into all of this? I've got big plans, everybody listening at home, I've got big plans. I would love to do an episode all about Mastering Mountains. But I guess just briefly touching on it, it is such a huge part of your life, I'm imagining. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When did the inspiration come? Tell us everything. Yeah, cool. So I think, so as I began getting physical rehab and making Mm -hmm. progress again, um, one of the things which I found really difficult was that I didn't know anybody with MS who was in the same kind of boat as yeah. me, who was trying to be physically active um, mm-hmm. in, in the outdoors. And so um, I felt quite isolated. And there's this difficult thing where, you know, I am limited in what I can do. And so I can't sort of participate in a regular tramping club, for example. Yes, yeah. But then, yeah, I, I sort of didn't have anyone to do stuff with. And, and so I was like, we need community. And yes. so I was like, how about I, I just need to try and make yeah. community. So find my own community. So I was thinking about this and, and then also um, decided to head to the Himalayas. And I was like, oh, I really want this to mean something more yeah. than me just climbing this peak. Mm-hmm. Like, so I want it to have a higher purpose. And so my initial plan was actually just to sort of do this, raise a little bit of money, give it to the MS Society. Yeah. And then kind of, so I approached the MS Society and, and one thing led to another. And then all of a the sudden they're like, I think, we, you know, it should be a, a grant program with um, a charitable <laughs> trust and all this kind of thing. I was like, oh, okay. okay. And so, you know, before I know it, Mastering Mountains yeah. just happens. And it's kind of like this this um, snowball that is gaining momentum. I'm kind of... yeah. Okay. frantically We're running behind yeah, exactly <laughs> just trying to keep up with it you know yeah. and um and so that was that was I think a really exciting part actually mm-hmm. was kind of this momentum that happened uh without me kind of yeah. intending it yeah. and so that was really thrilling and uh so so I suppose this this desire for community and then this idea of offering grants kind of came together and yeah. and then uh, I suppose the other part was realizing how you know and I'm not a neurologist and, and so I I kind of hesitate to call a neurologist wrong, but <laughs> yes, but how yeah. wrong the neurologist was yeah. in not giving hope. And, and I felt really strongly about that. I was like, man, you know, people, you know, with MS being increasingly a young person's disease, like uh, people need to know yeah. that this isn't the end yeah. and that they're, um, you know, they can still pursue mm-hmm. stuff that they love. Yeah. And so, um, so I felt really strongly about that and, and yeah, I, I think that desire and the desire for community and this idea of a grant sort of all came together and, and Mastery Mountains was born. And yeah. and that probably remains kind of some of the, the key focuses of, of Mastery Mountains, you know, this desire to 
to connect people to to their communities and to to bring hope to people who are newly diagnosed by yeah. sort of showcasing what people are able to do mm-hmm. and um and then to just really facilitate a re- rehabilitation process and support it yeah um, yeah so and it's definitely working because like I said at the top of this episode I remember reading some of the stories on the website and finding mastering mountains in general and just feeling so much hope for that when I was going through my ups and downs of the roller coaster of my journey so yeah it's definitely reaching the people and it's doing good work so thank you yeah do you have anything exciting coming up next any adventures planned yeah, I have. Uh, uh, you know, the the last this year has been a bit of a struggle with some some ups and downs yeah. health wise, and I uh, did have some fantastic plans, which I'm not sure are going to quite pan out. Yeah. But uh, and so there's this weird tension of having to try and hold on to goals, but then yeah, let go of them sometimes, and still trying to navigate that. But I would. It has been, uh, you know, so I've been on this sort of rehabilitation journey. Uh, uh, 2019 when I when everything fell apart again I was having to use crutches to walk around mm-hmm. again and, and so sort of been on this rehab journey uh for the second time yeah. so sort of starting from scratch pretty much you know not being able to balance and and so I haven't been properly in the mountains since yes since 2019 okay. so um I would love to climb a peak so I'm, I'm kind of hoping there's a, a peak in Arthur's Pass called Mount Rolleston which is a bit of a classic yeah. climb climb and I'm Fingers crossed, hoping that yeah. maybe uh, this spring I might be able to climb it. And cool. um, that's what I'm kind of tentatively aiming for. So Amazing. Um, yeah. I'll make sure to pop your social media information in the show notes. Everybody can watch this space yeah, and see cheers. if it all happens. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing your story with me and everybody listening today. I just know that a lot of people will get a lot out of you sharing your story. So thank you. Uh, absolute pleasure. Thank you. And of course, thank you for listening to this episode of That's So Chronic. Like I said in the interview, I'll make sure to pop links to all of the things that we talked about in the show notes, as well as where to find me over on social media if you want to connect there and reach out. I've had a few people message me recently with ideas for upcoming episodes or people that I should reach out to, so definitely feel free to let me know your thoughts or if you've got any questions. I love hearing from you all. Again, a huge thank you to everyone who supports the pod by listening and sharing you are all legends i hope you're having a great day wherever you are and i'll see you next time